Bienvenidos. Uh, we don't have announcements, which uh, is a good thing. That uh, we don't have a prayer, a growing prayer list, but we will be reading this morning from uh, Psalm 25, on page 632. 
632, Psalm 25. This is the day the Lord has made and, and has uh, assigned for us to come and worship. It's a beautiful morning, a beautiful day to praise our King. From Psalm chapter 25, reading the first five verses. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Let's pray. Father God, Lord of heaven and earth, we do wait on you, Father. We are so thankful that you have called this day for us to gather, for your name to be lifted up, and for you to be praised and worshipped. Lord, receive this worship time just now. Uh, bless this place, bless each one that's gathered, and may you be glorified, Lord, in every way we pray through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, it is great to be among friends and among believers. What a refuge this is for us from this world. Today we're going to finish our study in the book of Philippians. So if you turn with me in the church's Bible to chapter 4 on page 1351. Philippians chapter 4, page 1351. Last week, we, uh, we looked at Paul's explanation of worldly values and moral standards as compared to those things that are spiritually directed. Ultimately, we know that we cannot expect Christ-like behavior from those that are not Christ-like, from those who are outside of the fellowship of the Lord. Instead, the world should expect from us Christ-like behavior. The world should expect and see those who call them by Jesus' name Christ-like behavior. For those willing to abandon the world's expectations and conditions, Paul tells us in Philippians 4-7 that the Lord offers us peace that surpasses all understanding. And in verse 9, that the God of peace will be with us. Today we're going to build on these ideas as we look at Paul's last remarks in the letter to the Philippians. So let's read together verses 10 through 23. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So a quick summary of what we have just read. Paul is 
wrapping up his letter to the Philippians. And he's thanking them for doing a few things. He's thanking them for sending Epaphroditus to his aid. You'll remember that Paul is in prison at this time. He is writing from prison. And the Philippians were concerned about him for his health, both physically and spiritually. So they commissioned this guy Epaphroditus from the Philippian church to go to Paul to find out how he was doing, to perhaps bring food and and treats maybe, but really more than that, to spiritually support Paul while he was in prison. Next, Paul makes several statements about his well-being and how the Lord has provided for him and met his needs, and we'll talk about those things more in a few minutes. Paul mentions how the Philippians have supported him from the very beginning in his missionary journeys in Europe. He especially remembers how, when he was in Thessalonica, that they sent him financial support. Paul was a tent maker, and that was his trade. He made tents, but that was not enough uh, as a part-time job. And so Paul thanks them for sending financial support that met his, his essential necessities during his missionary work. Finally, he tells them that he wasn't so much interested in the gift or the amount, but in the fruit. That in doing so, they were partnering with what God was doing through him. Now, context is everything, right? When we read a text message from a friend or we hear something on the TV or the radio, the context for which we read or hear is everything, isn't it? And so it is with scripture that in the middle of the passage that we've just read and dissected, Paul famously exclaims these words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This statement is made in the the middle of what I'm going to call a a Philippian sandwich. This great statement that many embody for their, their life song their life's work, the meaning of their life, Paul says in the middle of these statements, thanking the Philippian church for their support. We have to hear these words in the right context. Paul wouldn't be a very good fundraiser, would he? You don't write a letter asking for money, and at the same time, Remind those who you're asking, you really don't need their support. Because God has you well covered. But that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, thank you very much for your generosity and for your support. But to be honest, I really didn't need it. Because God is the meter of every need that I have. God is the one who will supply and has supplied even through you. Thanks, sort of. Paul's not being rude, but he is clarifying his appreciation in the context of God's providence for him. We would do well to qualify our statements better like this, wouldn't we? Think about a few of these statements. It's true, I've been successful at work but it's only because the Lord has given me favor. 
yes, we do have a great marriage, but it's not because I'm a great guy or I've got everything figured out or I am perfect, but because the Lord is working because he's the center of our relationship. It's been a challenging situation. But the Lord has faithfully given direction and guidance and allowed me to see things clearly for his purpose. See, this is what Paul is doing. And, and it, could seem, it could seem offensive, couldn't it? It could seem like out of context that Paul is being prideful or even condescending to these brothers and sisters in the Philippian church. But Paul has it completely right, which is to say that his well-being is not based upon the obedience or wealth of one individual or one church but by the riches of Christ Jesus. Paul's message to them is to ex- explain their and our spiritual standing in the scheme of things. Let's read verses 10 through 13 again with these things in mind. Paul says, I rejoiced, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, that you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Really what's going on here is that Paul is concerned for these people, the Philippians. He is wrapping up a lengthy letter that he's written to them, exposing weakness in their relationship as a body. exposing their dependence on their own strengths and not the Lord. Exposing their heart. He wants the Philippians to come, to see, to think, to act the same way that he does. Paul's language would have been clearly understood by the Philippians to describe an attitude toward life that outwardly looks like theirs, but whose source and therefore significance is radically different. Paul's saying that he has been initiated into all the mysteries of life and he has come to know the secret reality. God has taught him through the good times and through the bad Not just how to cope with hunger and deprivation, but with plenty to eat and with an abundance of wealth. Essentially, Paul explains that he has developed this through true first-hand experience. He's neither boasting nor complaining, but he is offering an explanation of this experience which is that he has been completely initiated into Christ. He takes what the Lord gives him, whether it means plenty or need, 
and he accepts what the Lord allows in his life. I want to paraphrase verses 11 and 12 from our scripture that are a bit a bit dense and comprehensive. Hear this a little differently. I don't have a need, excuse me, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned how to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the secret for being happy, whether full or hungry, whether hands full or hands empty. Paul's learned lesson explained in these verses, he refers to himself as content. Content's not a popular word in our culture, is it? Content is weakness. Content is laziness. Paul refers to himself as content, which is an idea of self-sufficiency. Our English translations really can't capture what Paul is describing here. But he's using a word that was popular actually in their culture that would describe one's ability to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. To accomplish everything they set out to do on their own steam, on their own strength, on their own accord. It would describe a truly successful person by all accounts. To this Philippian audience, this word would have conveyed an idea of not needing anyone or anything, but being able to do everything on one's own. I think this is something we understand very well, isn't it? It is the American dream to be self-sufficient, to be truly content in all that we have labored for and accomplished. A truly self-sufficient person. What's crazy is that Paul takes this idea of self-sufficiency, a well-understood idea, and he makes it independent of worldly circumstances. It is the opposite of what seems natural. Because instead of being self-sufficient, Paul was telling them that he had learned the secret of life. The secret that they all longed for. The secret that all in the world have longed for. And Paul says, I've learned the secret of life and this is what it is. Being God-sufficient. Having nothing to do with ourselves, our own accomplishments, our own strengths, our own abilities, but solely resting on what God can and will do. Verse 12 is just an elaborate verse that offers a deep understanding of Paul's circumstances. He says, I am just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I've found the secret, whether. I have found the secret for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. It is God alone. Paul knows how to get along with humble means, and he knows what it means to have plenty. The Greek word here expresses that Paul has exclusive first-hand knowledge. 
He's not just telling a great story about others he's seen who have had wealth and had all they need, or others who are impoverished and haven't had a good day's meal. He's talking directly about himself, and he has seen these extremes firsthand. Paul testifies, he says, I've learned the secret of being well-fed. This word in the Greek, the secret the secret originally referred to a process of initiation and secret mystery cults of the day. See, Philippi was a stronghold of philosophy and spirituality, and there were many different groups and cults that called upon the name of false gods. They would have to go through a secret initiation process to be immersed into that that pagan spirituality. And Paul uses that language to describe what his experience is. He says, I have had an initiation of sorts to these circumstances, being well fed and going hungry. He's not describing a one-off situation, but a lifestyle that has been back and forth between these two worlds. The concept of being full or well-fed is an uncomfortable one. This word uses a this word is a verb described for force-feeding animals to fatten them up before a sale. The phrase to be hungry is in direct opposition of being well-fed. Instead of expressing an abundance of food, it pictures the absence of food and the hunger that results the lowly look for an animal or a human being. And this image is prevalent in scripture where food was often scarce. I don't think that these few examples are an exhaustive list, but Paul giving a general framework for the profound statement that he makes in verse 13. This verse that is often easy to remember but hard to understand. It is a complex verse with a straightforward meaning. Word for word, this verse says, For all things I have strength. In the one, in Jesus, who gives me strength. The all things that Paul talks about really doesn't mean everything, but it means anything. There is a great difference between everything and anything. Not the everything we want to think of like being a great football player or a successful business person, but the anything that God would put in front of us like to endure prison for his purpose. The doing of anything relates to power and strength. It is ability. So Paul says he has what is necessary for any situation that God is working in. The strength he has is in him. It is in the Lord, period, and alone. The second mention of strength is an entirely different word from the first that relates to ability. This word relates to power. 
It comes from the Greek word dynamo, which is where we get our word dynamite. This word here means power that is explosive. Power that is transformational. And this word here that we read for strength is ongoing. It is a word that in English ends in I-N-G. Meaning that this power that God is supplying Paul is to be continuous forever from God. Hear Paul's message this way. I have strength for all things because it is Christ who enables me. It's really interesting. I have almost given this message twice now. We, uh, we started studying in Philippians back in September of last year. And we studied in Philippians for many months, and we were working through chapter 4 in February. Uh, however, we haven't finished this book. Between Deborah teaching on the feast and Rebecca and I being out of town, it just hasn't happened. We simply have moved on from concluding this book. A few weeks ago, uh, Roger and Deborah were scheduled to be out of town, and I thought I was going to have a chance to teach this again. Uh, but it happened that they weren't out of town, and so Deborah taught a few Sundays ago. But the Lord brought it together that I would share this message today. Some of you who know some of my circumstances, this may seem completely right that I would share this message today. And I believe this message that Paul has for us has been more true every day for me for several weeks and for several months. For a long time, I've been in a very difficult situation in my workplace. Since my first day, my flesh wanted me to leave that job. I simply wanted out. But spiritually, I knew that the Lord had provided that job and he had called me to that workplace. I've endured some of the hardest days of my life, yet I've known that the Lord would not allow, that the Lord not only allowed those circumstances, but it was his mercy to put me right in that chaos, to expose spirits that captivated me so that I could choose to be delivered from those places. Spirit upon spirit upon spirit. During this time, uh, my work has seemed like a combat zone. A place where I simply did not know who was friendly and who was foe. But the Lord has richly fed me and has taught me, and has even given understanding to our congregation during this time. In the past years that I have been in this role, the Lord has taught me through the book of Daniel, through Esther, through Amos, through Revelation, through Ecclesiastes, Jonah, and here in Philippians. The past several months have included an incredible intensity that that have been challenging to really believe were possible. Yet, 
we know that the things that we physically experience are only a picture and a mirror for the things that are spiritually taking place. The Lord has given me, under, has given me examples to understand the spiritual context for my circumstances. I have been like Joseph, full of pride. I have been like Joseph who was sold into slavery by those closest to him. I've been like Joseph, wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife. I've been like Daniel in Babylon, whose death was decreed, who was in the lion's den, and who had false claims made for his destruction. I've been like David, weak and small before a towering Goliath, and also like David, who ran from Saul after delivering Saul from Goliath. And like Paul, I have been wrongly in prison. Incredibly, the Lord has shown me how each situation, each day and each circumstance of calamity has been used to bring about his purpose in me and in my surroundings. In some cases, there have been spirits that the Lord was working out of me multiple times. In other cases, the Lord was refining me that my character might be proven. And in others, it had nothing to do with me, but the Lord was providing opportunities for others to see and to know him. A few weeks ago, the Lord did a great miracle and the impossible seemed to happen. God completely removed the person who was the cause of abuse and harassment in a toxic work environment. For the next several days, I was in complete awe because I had seen the Lord's, the Lord's word and plan fulfilled. Last Tuesday, though, I too was removed. Not by my own choice, but I was terminated without cause and without merit. I won't say that I was shocked, because I certainly was, but I was not defeated nor destroyed. Because the same God who was with me in captivity, in Potiphar's house, in Babylon, in the lion's den, before Goliath, running from Saul, and in prison, this same God is with me now. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the things in Scripture have been given for our examples, for our edification, and to strengthen us for his purpose. So this, this circumstance, this situation that I am in, changes everything, but it changes nothing. My circumstances have changed, but my purpose in the Lord remains the same going forward. I've been unsure how to share this testimony with you all, but the Lord has shown me why and how this is important because whether you know it or not, you have been walking together with me through these things. And because this is real. 
It's easy to share a message on Paul's behalf if everything in my life is going swell. To quote Paul's words and say, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. When things are going well and I play golf on the weekends and I'm relaxing and at peace. But it is altogether different in the real life of circumstances. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Back just a few pages on page 1355. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about some of the great things that the Lord has revealed to him. Then he explains the famous thorn in his flesh. So let's read together in chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul says, And lest I should become exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I have pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecution and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. We're not sure what this thorn in Paul's flesh was exactly. We don't know if it was just a, a physical infirmity, a physical thorn in his flesh, but but more seriously, a physical situation that the Lord allowed to remain. But what is made clear to us is that God didn't just remove this challenge or discomfort from Paul, but the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. For years now, I've just wanted this situation to be over with. And every time there was a milestone, every time there was a delivery from another spirit, every time there was a victory, I would think, okay, we're done. The Lord's will has been accomplished. Surely I can move on from this place. And just as soon as I would ask myself and think out loud to the Lord, Lord, when is it going to be enough? I would realize, well, not enough yet, clearly Because I am still in the same thinking that I am. Turn with me back a few pages to your left to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, page 13, 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, page 13, 18. We'll read verses 11 through 13. Paul says, Now all these things happened to them as examples. These are them in the Old Testament. Moses and Abraham and others. 
and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Particularly verse 13 has, has been such a powerful verse of transformation for me in, in the last few years. This was a scripture I never fully understood because I, I misquoted it in my mind to exclude the last statement that Paul says, that you may be able to bear it. Not that God would just deliver us from every difficult situation or circumstance, but that he would offer us clarity of spiritual mind to endure the toughest of situations. Turn back with me to Philippians chapter 4, page 1351. Philippians chapter 4, page 1351. Again, we'll read from chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This verse has become a mantra to support the extravagance of any human desire. That we can do whatever we want and God will give us the power, the strength, the direction, the inspiration, the encouragement to accomplish our plans for desire and greatness. But this is a great irony because this is exactly what Paul is speaking against. Instead of our desires or our plans, if we are committed to the Lord's purpose, we can be content in his strength. Today I beg you, my friends, to submit not just everything, but anything in your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. To every great and awesome opportunity, you lay at his feet and give him glory. Likewise, that every awful and troubling situation you would cast before his throne in humility. I'd like to close with Paul's words from Philippians chapter 4, 19 and 20. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.
sinner, lost and left to die. Oh, raise your head for love is passing by. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus and live. Now your burdens lifted and carried far away. Precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, and live. And like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. And remember when sometimes we fall so fall on Jesus fall on Jesus fall on Jesus and live sometimes the way is lonely and steep and filled your sky is dark and pours the rain and cry to Jesus cry to Jesus cry to Jesus and live oh and when the love spills over and music fills the night and when you can't contain your joy inside then dance for Jesus dance for Jesus dance for Jesus and live and with your final Kiss the world goodbye Then go in peace And laugh on glory's side And fly to Jesus Fly to Jesus Fly to Jesus And Fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus.